Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Everybody, welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host Leo Sabo, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Rob Sadden and Kirsten Schwartz. They are from Crossroads Church, located in the state of Ohio, and also in Kentucky. They have a bunch of campuses, and uh, they're going to tell you more about their church and their history and kind of where they're at, especially as it relates to generosity and stewardship. They have a pretty interesting and amazing story of how a large, growing church made a shift, especially as uh, as it relates to generosity. I think you guys would be really, really benefit from today's conversation. Rob, Kirsten, welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast. Glad you could come and uh, join us for this episode. Thanks. Thanks Leo. Yeah. We're glad to be here. Awesome. Let's start with just uh, tell us a little bit about your church. When did it start, location, campuses, just anything you think is relevant to our conversation today? Yeah, so we are, uh, so Crossroads Church, we are, uh, next year will be 25 years. So 1996, uh, started in in a rented auditorium in Cincinnati, and that's kind of where we're still kind of centered, but have grown uh, pretty significantly. And, and now, I don't even know the number of campuses. Is it 12 or 14? It depends. COVID year makes it a little tough to figure out, but it's 12 or 14 campuses. Um, and then we have followers or listeners or watchers, people all over the country, um, mm-hmm. and so I don't know the exact uh, attendance number. It's anywhere between twenty thousand and forty thousand, I think, depending on on the weekend. But yeah, yeah, seen a lot of growth over twenty five years. That's for sure. It's great. All right, so let's let's dive right in. What does giving and generosity look like at Crossroads? Uh, share your history. Yeah, so we, um, you know, so Crossroads in that twenty five years, uh, you can really d- define our giving as pre twenty nineteen and. And 2019 and beyond, because we had a major shift at the end of 2018. Before that, we were really built on campaigns. So mm. we, we did four big campaigns in our history, all four wildly successful. Uh, Crossroads was built on those campaigns, um, did, saw God work in amazing ways. And, and, you know, they were exciting times. All four of them were exciting times. A lot of people getting involved. Each one was bigger than the previous one. And um, campaigns are really uh, the perfect venue for our senior pastor, Brian Tome, who, if he excels at anything, it's standing up there and saying, everyone follow me, we're going this way. Like, that, that's right. what he loves to do. That's what he's great at. So a campaign is like built for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, we saw a lot of, a lot of success. But um, I think as we got bigger and, as, and started growing exponentially, so started expanding campuses and more and more people, more and more people. We started to see the whole campaign model fall apart a little bit. Um, I think we saw that even though the numbers got bigger, that the impact on people, people actually, their their lives changing, generosity becoming an important spiritual discipline for them, the vision, all of that just got muddier and muddier, the bigger and bigger we got. So we started to see a real outage in our people when it came to generosity. Mm. We had a lot of people people who were even passionate about what was happening at Crossroads, 
but um, our giving numbers were really low comparatively or relatively. And um, so we started to see that we started to see that weakness. And we also, I, my role at Crossroads is as a content director. So I kind of run all of our teaching and everything we put out in the world, like what we say. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the people who was experiencing the pain of constantly having to justify to people why Crossroads is a good investment. Mm, okay. And why why Crossroads is a better investment than whatever nonprofit out there is asking you for money. And it was a constant, constant struggle to come up with new and unique creative ways to do that. Mm. And it was becoming more and more painful. And because we were bigger and bigger and bigger and became harder and harder and harder to cast yeah. any type of local vision, any type of vision that is personal to somebody was getting harder and harder and harder. And we reached a point at the end of 2018 where um, we knew that this this wasn't this wasn't sustainable anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just constantly trying to keep people inspired and motivated to give to change the world. That whole message, which had worked so well for Crossroads for 23 years, was um, we needed to rethink it. That's good. That's good. So I can imagine with so many campuses, because I was at a large church with multi-site. I remember how difficult it was to try to make the communication, especially as it related to generosity and stewardship, stay consistent. We didn't want it to be watered down at a campus that was maybe 30, 40 miles away, and they didn't necessarily have a dedicated uh, person that was in charge of teaching and equipping and, and really communicating on this topic. So fortunately, like you guys, we had a very passionate pastor who could talk about anything, and he was very, very uh, you guys know Robert Morris, you, you understand his message and the blessed life and how powerful that is. So we never lacked the resources, but to try to get a cultural change was difficult. So you guys said that you had four capital campaigns back to back. You are doing great. You said they were very successful. What that means to me, and you can clarify this, but what it means to me is that you guys were bringing in good amount of money to accomplish the vision that you guys had, and you continue to grow, continue to grow. But then something happened toward the end of 2018. How did you guys know that something wasn't the same? And and then what did you do next? Yeah, I I think we just got tired. Mm. I, I, th- I think of constantly trying to um, to rethink the message and be more creative. I think we just got tired. It got exhausting. Mm. And we started to see more and more people coming and less and less, honestly, less and less giving. Okay. Um, so you did um, see a change our, in the giving our, well, itself. Our total, yeah, our total number wasn't going down, but per capita was definitely going down. Okay. So, so you know, we had more and more people, but our giving was not increasing even close to how many people were coming. I see. And, and not just new people, but people who had been around for a couple of years. Still, we were seeing no we were just seeing no impact in their lives when it came to generosity. And um, so we knew, we knew we had to rethink it. And also because we were built on the back of campaigns, which are these, these very short bursts of energy and excitement and, and, and initiative, we didn't have a lot of staff resources dedicated to a longer term discipleship around generosity and giving because it all happened in such short bursts. So we didn't have a, a stewardship team. We didn't really have a generosity team. We, as many churches do, it was part of our kind of biz ops and finance function to help. And, and they do an admirable job, but it just, we weren't investing in it very much. 
So, uh, yeah, so we realized at the end of 2018 that we, um, we had to completely rethink uh, how, we are, how we approach giving if we're going to go into the next phase of, of whatever Crossroads is going to be. So, Kirsten, you're the director of generosity. So how did this whole thing, how did you interpret the turn of events 2018, early 2019, and what was your reaction? Well, initially we were noticing it's the end of the campaign, giving's not going up, what do we do? So I started researching just what's out there, what do other churches do? And I just, you know, I don't know, I probably interviewed at least 10 mega churches and then talked with every resource I could find out there. Um, I attended my first CSN forum. <laughs> I got connected with everybody and I had a million questions and all the people at the forum were so helpful because they they were willing to, to help me, to tell me this is what I've learned, this is what I haven't learned. So I mined everything I could find out there in terms of best practices and how other churches have been doing this and then attempted to put together a plan for Crossroads because granted Crossroads doesn't look like every other church. Like every church has its own personality. So you're trying to take in what is the structure of my church? Um, how do we operate? Who's in charge of budgets? Who's in charge of givers? And then how do I put a plan together to that makes sense for Crossroads? So essentially I did all that research. Rob and I worked on that plan together and then we proposed it. And, um, and I think initially I even said, I think we should hire somebody on the outside to come in and do this. And they were like, Kirsten, why don't you just do it and <laughs> implement it? So talked yourself into a job, did you? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she did. She did. She's a, she's brilliant at research and brilliant at project management created the perfect job for herself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's usually the way it goes. Uh, the person who's the most passionate about it is the one that gets the assignment. So good for you. I think you're definitely the right person for the job. Uh, I know you well enough to, to, to confidently say that. So one of the things that I picked up from what you guys just shared is that there was definitely a focus on generosity, helping people understand, catch the vision. Uh, I've been part of churches where capital campaign was the major way of growing the church. And that that almost has to be part of the growth of the church, especially when it's going through a very quick spurt uh, and growth, whether that's at the beginning or somewhere in its journey or in its uh, life. But as that happens, it's really hard to keep people engaged. Uh, you kind of get worn down going from one capital campaign to the other. And then the other thing is that vision is such an important part of it. Uh, when you begin to lose vision or if people don't quite catch it, then it does definitely affect the the bottom line. Does the actual capital campaign become successful or not. So I'm, I'm guessing some of that happened because it's really difficult to do that back to back to back. But one of the things that I'd heard you say was that there really wasn't a lot on the discipleship front of the stewardship education. So talk about that. What what did you guys observe? And then, Kirsten, maybe you can chime in here because you said you talked to a lot of people. So what did you gain? What was the perspective you gained by looking outside and saying, oh, I think we're missing something? And what was that to you? How did you how did you see that? Right. Well, we were missing two things. One, um, and the way Rob describes this, I love this, is uh, we, we didn't make our current givers feel known, needed, and valued. So mm -hmm. we had no system or infrastructure to, to make that happen other than, congratulations, you completed a campaign and you should keep giving. You know. <laughs> then the second part of this was discipleship, which is how do you actually grow your givers? How do you grow people in giving and generosity? And um, so we, we realized we didn't have, we actually were missing both pieces. And um, 
so we started building the infrastructure side first on how do we make our current givers feel known, needed, and valued, and in also changing the way we talk about giving, which is what Rob was so passionate in, in figuring out. And then, um, and then secondly, we are now building how do we disciple people around giving, which is a lot of what I'm launching over the next year. Okay. That's great. That's great. So I do want to hear more about what you guys are doing and what that looks like. Let me ask a question here on what would you say are the most important parts of a successful generosity and stewardship ministry? When you look at everything that you guys are looking to do or have done, what would you say, here's two or three things that without it, you're just not going to make it. What would you say that is? Well, I would. the first thing I would say is um, I think the thing we did that worked is we made that ministry a part of our teaching and content side of the organization. So the people who controlled the message and, and were crafting that, that's where generosity was placed. So it, it wasn't lost on the outskirts somewhere where it was constantly, Kirsten's constantly having to fight to get uh, her share of the communication bandwidth and get her message out. I mean, it was right in the center. Mm. which is one of the roles I was able to play, which I think has really helped us, you know, really a direct line to our senior pastor and a, and kind of be core to who we are as opposed to on the outskirts. That was a huge, I think that was probably the biggest thing that's really helped us gain some traction. Um, I think also we, uh, I think you have to decide what your core message is and then just unapologetically say it and don't veer from it. And that was the decision we made back in mid 2019. We had always believed in the importance of the tithe and the tithe being 10% of your gross income to your local church. And um, Brian, our senior pastor had even taught that, but that message kept getting lost in everything else and campaigns and appeals and, and uh, let's go change the world here and do this. And it kept getting lost. And we, we made the decision, no, we're about the tithe. We believe the Bible teaches the tithe hmm. and we're going to unapologetically teach the tithe. And we changed all of our communication to focus on that. So hmm. we really took a major step back from communicating the whole change the world message, which we still deeply believe in and which Crossroads is still very active with outreach and with, you know, and all types of different things. But we just felt like we had to elevate the tithe and we, we even did the Blessed Life series from, from Gateway um, mm -hmm. in October 2019. Okay. Uh, we, did, we did it um, almost word, as word for word as, as we could. We, we did that series and because we knew we had to be about one message, which was the tithe. And then we built some other things around that to reinforce that. But I think those are the two major changes we made. Um, and then just elevating the importance of it. You know, we were able to get our leadership on board. So... When Kirsten is changing entire infrastructure, even around sending out thank you notes or mm -hmm. simple things like that, that people would start listening and notice and start cooperating with us instead of it always having to be a fight. Yeah, that's really good. I love I love that uh, you guys looked at the situation and said, okay, we need to put this at the center. And then you look at your structure and yours, obviously, content, communication, so that that's at the center. So it's not... Like you said, it's not out there on the side skirts and being ignored or maybe looked at as maybe not necessarily a, a big value. And I think this is something that a lot of churches miss, is it's not that they don't care about generosity, they don't care about stewardship. That's not the case at all. 
is that they think they only need to do it once in a while. And they're not willing to take the stance and say, no, we think this is such an important topic that we're going to talk about it all the time. And I'm not talking about every sermon, but often enough that people cannot ignore how you believe and how you feel about it. It's not like, I wonder how Crossroads feels about this. No, no, no. You put it at the center, and I think that's really, really key. So talk about some of the challenges you faced as you were developing this good communication about giving. What were some of the challenges you faced? How did you overcome those? Well, I think there's a few of them, and Rob can speak more to offering setups. Um, that was one of our challenges. Uh, I, you know, as we learned at the CSN conference, if your people can recite your offering setup, then you're wasting time on stage with that. So mm. we try to get creative and mix that up. We are st still definitely playing with that and trying to figure out what works. Um, and I think a key to that is training the pastor on stage who's delivering the message um, on how to do that quickly. But we can go back to that in a second. Mm. Um, the other thing is just with giver communication. So our whole problem is we only knew two things about our givers. If you gave for the first time and if you completed a campaign, that was really it. That's when you would trigger a response from us to thank you. <laughs> so this is really just getting back to some, uh, yeah, I don't know, almost like taking care of your people one-on-one. Mm -hmm. And we picked, uh, I guess, five places that we choose to reach out to people along their giving journey. And this is for current givers. So we haven't gotten to trying to make new givers yet. That's a part of a, a different part of the strategy. But this one is we recognize first-time givers. Um, we also recognize an engaged giver. So we picked a threshold for us um, that made sense. And engaged giver is just somebody that gives a certain amount each year. And we're saying, hey, that's probably not a tithe, but they're, the Crossroads is their church and they're making some kind of sacrifice for that. Um, then we also have high capacity givers, of course. I know every, every church has those that are at the top and we're putting together a whole strategy on how to communicate to those. Then there were two other places we, we chose to uh, make sure we reach out to people. One was um, anybody who took the 90-day tithe test, uh, you, you might call it a three-month tithe challenge at other churches, but we launched that along with the Blessed Life um, in fall of 2019 and saw great success from it. Just in terms of the amount of people who signed up and then, we, and then gave us their stories on life change. Now, not every person signs up, but we have a communication structure that happens. If you sign up for the 90-day tithe test, you get a series of four emails from our senior pastor, and you get a personal email from one of our site pastors. Mm. Uh, so that way we are building relationship with the people who are saying, hey, I really want to take a step in this and it's scary and it's new. And we want to make sure that they have a direct connection to us. Um, then the last place we, we really focus on giver communication is with what we call the blue team. And that is a, a team of people that are our self-declared tithers. So we launched that at the beginning of this year. We said, hey, if you tithe to Crossroads and this is your church home, we want you to be part of our core team. Uh, and we realize this is somebody could lie <laughs> and get on the blue team, but we really don't feel like we've got a huge problem with that. So we've got this core team of people. And the other reason we liked this is because it doesn't exclude someone who maybe makes 2000 a year or the stay at home mom who's tithing off of whatever her spending money is and her husband isn't, you know, interested in the church or tithing. So it allow it's not, we're not just choosing a random number to say, these are the people who are tithers. We allow them to tell us who they are. Mm -hmm. All right. I love that. I love that idea uh, because it does allow people to kind of self 
identify and saying, I believe in this. Um, and, and, and this is something I've not honestly seen at any other church where they actually get to be part of, like, self-declare themselves a tither. Uh, this is a question I get all the time from pastors, like, how do I know if a person is tithing or not? And, you know, there's some parameters or some things you could use uh, to get an idea, but nobody really knows. And unless you know what the person makes, no, there's no way to know, and, and we don't really need to get that detail with it. But most pastors want to know who's tithing, who's not, especially if you want to be focused on moving people along that generosity journey and helping them to fully, fully benefit from trusting God in this area. So I love that you put that together. It's a simple, but uh, but yet profound in the fact that uh, people will actually say, this is kind of a... I, I mean, if I was at a church and they had that, I'd be part of that team. I'd be like, I want everybody to know, not that it's going to be published, but I'd want to be proud that, yes, I believe in this and I'm doing this. I'm on board with uh, with these uh, with these principles and I want to live by them. So really cool. Leo, our, uh, it, it, first of all, we launched that, the Blue Team. We launched it literally the weekend before all of our buildings shut down. And we had that, mm. and we had that plan beforehand. I think that was totally a God thing. Thank you for <laughs> setting that up because we were able to launch that right before. And um, I, I think we have, I don't know, thirty five hundred people or so who've, who've done that now. And um, you know, I, I always believe that that you can lie, fine, but anyone who says they're part of the blue team, uh, they they're giving us permission to talk to them like they're tithers, and and. At some point, I, I'll just let the shame convict you. <laughs> I'll just assume <laughs> at some point, if you are going to lie, you'll be convicted. But but That's we've right. been able to use the blue team, especially in a year like this. I say it's so great that it started the week before everything shut down because we've been able to communicate specifically to the blue team, encouragement, needs, all those things in such a weird year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started something called the locker room where Brian does a live Zoom call with the blue team once a month. And anybody can hop on and ask him questions. And then we record it and send it out to everybody. And our open rate on that email is massive wow. uh, for people who want to watch the recording. Um, we rebranded this year. So we were able to send everyone on the blue team a, a new rebranded T-shirt. Um, you know, it's just been. Um, and then we have a couple of things we invite people to. We've never had members at Crossroads, which was a very intentional decision in the very beginning of Crossroads, which I understand all the reasons for, but the one downside to that is you never really know who is bought in, who is really right. bought in. Right. And the blue team has given us, given us that a little bit. People have said, I'm in, I'm tither at Crossroads based on your definition. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And you can talk to me that way. Mm. I love it. I love it. So let me ask this question. Um, you guys are unique in that you do have many campuses and, and you're growing and uh, understanding that maybe our audience does, you know, not everyone has or, or is part of a large uh, church like yours, but we are seeing more and more, even average-sized churches, and I say average, of course, average in America is much less than what I consider average because I'm in Texas and average is much bigger here. But, uh, you know, an average church, let's say, is 1,000 to 2,000 people, but even those churches today, rather than building a bigger building, they're just opening up smaller campuses and having, you know, 200, 300 people uh, at each campus. So we're seeing that becoming more and more uh, part of the of the model the church is embracing. So in having so many campuses, you have these campus pastors that you guys have on each specific campus. How do you communicate this across every campus, your, your desire to make sure that everybody hears the same thing, that the communication is consistent? And what role does that campus pastor play? Because in most campuses— 
the campus pastor is the pastor. They may not ever see the senior pastor there. So how do you guys make sure that they are part of this communication string and they're, you know, what, what role do they play? I think compared to a lot of our peers, we are very centralized. So even though we have a lot of campuses, um, we there's a lot of central authority. If you, uh, you know, a lot of things are uniform across all of our campuses. So the same message every weekend, it's piped in from the, the main, our central campus, right? It's not right. unique. Usually, sometimes it is, but usually it's not unique at campuses. Um, so we're pretty centralized, which makes it a little easier. But, um, you know, we started with, really the whole church reset was the blessed life. Cause that was a, a five week teaching series for the entire church, every site that regrounded everybody. And here's what we believe. And here's how we're going to talk about it going forward. So that was, that was the starting point. So then from there, we could build on that at all of our, all of our different sites. So we're working with our campus pastors regu- regularly. We've done offering setup trainings, um, we are meeting with them. They have, they have campus pastor meetings, obviously every week. And we've been brought into those many times to talk to our strategy. I'll let Kirsten talk about all the different communications she has with sites and, and how she does that. Cause it just makes my mind go crazy. I'm glad she's here to do that. One of the things that's um, probably a little different about our church, maybe compared to other churches that have multi-site is our, our pastors are in charge of their own budgets. So they are in charge of the money that's coming into their site and covering the money to cover all their expenses. Mm-hmm. And they're all at different places in that, depending on when they were recently launched. And so there is a, there is a, they're motivated <laughs> to get to know their givers mm-hmm. and they're motivated to, um, to talk to them because they, they're responsible for that bottom line. So that right. does make it a little easier on me in terms of trying to create tools and get their attention to say, Hey, this is important. Now the key the key thing that's tough here is um, pastors have a lot of things they're taking care of, right? They're taking care of their staff. They're taking care of, you know, funerals and weddings and you name it, every single crisis that happens at their church. So I'm trying to make communicating with their givers as clear and streamlined as possible. So it's Mm -hmm. easy for them to execute and we are getting the biggest bang for their buck when we do have specific communication with people. Okay. So that's what I've spent a lot of my time researching over the past couple of years is what do other people do? Where do I think we get the biggest bang for their buck with our CPs? The other thing is that a lot of our pastors are younger. Um, I would say half are more seasoned and half are younger guys that are, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties mm-hmm. and communicating with givers who have a lot of money and are, and are to appear more successful than them in the business world can be intimidating. And no they're, no. they're coming along and, and learning like everybody else. So my role is to help, help them become good at communicating with their givers. And that looks different for each site and how big they are and each pastor based on their experience and personality. Mm. So my team really works to support almost like a consultant um, to the sites to say, Hey, this is what we're seeing in your giver behavior. This is, um, this is where I think you, you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck in the way you communicate with your givers and then coaching them and where they need coaching on how to communicate. Hmm, okay. So tell me about what, what does that coaching look like? Cause it sounds like you got not only on the size of the church, but the individual, if as a younger person that may struggle with that, 
uh, how do I talk to a successful person? I'm just a 25-year-old. What does that look like from your perspective? How do you actually help these pastors to have that confidence to be able to speak in a way that's effective, that it's going to impact people in the right way, right? Because you're, you're concerned not just about uh, how it's being said, but what is being said. Both of those matter. So how do you guys coach? How do you train them? How do you act as that consultant to these pastors? Well, a couple of things. First, we wanted to demystify, like, how do you talk to givers? And, and it feels intimidating. So we wanted to make that less intimidating. So we we brought in experts. We, we've had Chris Goulard come in and give us coaching. We've had Rodney with Life Church come in, actually flew him in, and he was physically here in front of our people to talk that. So we try to build confidence with other people in the industry who we respect and um, and we like what, you know, what they've got to say. So that helps. We um, took all of our campus pastors to the CSN conference last yes, year did. in Louisville. Yes, you did. Just, just 24 hours of them just thinking about how to talk about giving was a, was hugely beneficial. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, uh, when I saw you guys sign up, because I was talking to uh, Kirsten about signing everybody up and, you know, we had to work through some of the details. And I thought, this is really awesome. And when our team, when our board of directors and the rest of our team heard that a church was bringing 14 campus pastors, we're like, that's unique right there. They must really want to fix something or they really want to move this thing forward. So we were so excited to see them there. And uh, what's interesting is that we recognize that those pastors, that's not their bread and butter. That's not what they do every day. They're not going to become stewardship champions, but still they play such a crucial role that if they don't do their part, it could literally fall apart because there are the leaders and people look to them. So it's so great that you guys have not only seen the need, but actually went outside the envelope and said, let's go find whoever can talk to these guys rather than us trying to train them, find people that already do this, have done this for a while and bring them in to talk to them so that they can hear it from an outside perspective and hopefully gain from it, become more confident, talk about it in a way that's effective. So that's awesome. What other ways have you guys trained them? Well, like Rob said earlier, we have the we had offering setup drills where we made them come up with two offering setups. One is how would you teach the tithe in under two minutes, and mm. the other was give us another story about you learning about generosity or giving a personal story that you have and use a scripture verse in it. And they have to do this in under two minutes because that's about the allotted time we've got when they're on stage before that's we right. you know cut to the major message in between worship. And we just drilled them over and over again, and they have to practice it. So the more reps they get at telling their own generosity story, the better they get at it and the more confident they get. Mm. But uh, I think that's a page we took from Life Church. also. They do a lot of drills with their pastors. So um, wow. yeah, that was part of it. Then originally the way we were doing training is we would go into the campus pastor meeting once a month and I would do a training. Um, that's kind of how we did things over the past year. Now we realize our, our campuses are so different and our pastors are in different places that now I have, I'm having 30 minute phone calls with each of them to say, okay, how are things going? What's your end of year giving plan? Let's go through it. Let's talk through it. And then we're, we plan to continue that each quarter. So I'm interacting with each of them on an individual basis. And then also with the group as a whole. Yeah, that's great. You recognize that there's a difference. It's not, you know, one size fits all and different personalities, different speaking maybe abilities or, or, you know, just, just their personality is going to come into it. Right. And I love that you actually had them think about a personal story, add a scripture to it and actually get to practice it or deliver it in front of everybody else, because it does take away that, well, it makes them practice, right? 
if they can practice, then when they get up there, it's not like this is the first time I'm doing it. And more than likely, they'll have, they'll kind of probably do it badly. Uh, but this gives them a chance to practice. So very, very unique way of approaching it. That's really, really great. All right, so we're almost out of time, but uh, so appreciated this story and just what you guys have gained over the last couple of years. Uh, where are you guys right now? Where's your giving? What are you doing in the next 12 months or so? Where are you at with uh, Crossroads and especially with generosity? Yeah, well, our um, praise God, our, our giving has remained strong since we started this. I think I think we're at 14 out of 14 months now where we've exceeded our, our budget, our revenue budget. So, um, you know, especially in such a weird year, mm-hmm. it's been really encouraging. Um, so we're still working the same plan that we input. So this two-sided plan with one side being infrastructure and making givers feel no need and valued and the other side, discipleship and teaching people what true biblical generosity is. Um, we're still working that same plan. We're working hard on a, a high capacity giver. There's a lot more we could do there. We've never been very good at that. And uh, in discipling people who have unique, ch- the unique challenges of having wealth, mm-hmm. um, you know, which we all know is that's a whole different world to live in and very difficult. And I, I think we could get better at that. So we're working on that. We are, um, uh, Kirsten's been working hard to implement um, estate planning with financial planning ministries, which is something we've never done before. So we're, we're getting closer to that. Um, and then, yeah, just continuing to refine the message all the time. Um, we're uh, just, just keep working the plan. Anything to add to that, Kirsten? I might've well, something. We, we are continually finding ways to insert the generosity language into the weekend message. So when Rob's looking at the teaching calendar for the whole year, he's trying to figure out where do we talk about this? Where do we re-up? Because, you know, as I'm sure like this happens at Gateway, you do the blessed life one year and then you don't do it the next year. New people come in and people don't know that message. So we're trying to figure out how often do we need to uh, redo it and how often do we talk about it? I think we we did a message about generosity, uh, I don't know, six weeks ago. So we try to hit that a couple of times a year and have one financial series a year. Um, so that's what we're working on for next year. And in addition to having FPM, uh, which we'll be rolling out, we're doing it right now with our staff, we'll be rolling that out across the church next year. So it'll be interesting to see how people respond to that as, hey, we really care about you and you having your financial resources in order. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got a few other things we're going to be rolling out next year that we're we're in the process of developing right now in terms of helping people with discipleship and mm-hmm. growing them. One of the thing, uh, other features we really love with Generous Giving are JOGS, the Journeys of Generosities. We actually took all of our campus pastors through this right before COVID hit um, with the plan to use that with our high capacity givers as our strategy to use for the, that Granted, with COVID, we haven't <laughs> really been executing that in homes right now, but we are excited to get back to implementing JOGS as part of that high capacity giver strategy. And another thing, we have to get all the staff on board too. So I think one of the things we may have um, skipped over is just that we needed to change our staff culture also. So it's, it's not just the pastors that need to be able to talk about giving. Everybody on your staff has a giving story and it has something about money and where God has come into their life with money. So it shouldn't just be the pastors who have that two minute elevator um, pitch on, on what generosity means to them. The entire staff needs to have that. So part of what we started doing, uh, even with the, before the blessed life is we started watching the blessed life videos and all staff before we launched that whole series. So the staff was all on board. We, when we brought in Rodney Ross to speak from life church, he spoke to all staff. So everybody was hearing what he's saying. So we're trying to shift this culture in everyone. And it's not just 
let me like try to force it and cram it down a CP's throat to make him do it. <laughs> We're trying to shift the, and the culture of all the new young staff that have come on and, you know, aren't, aren't as aware of how generous our church has always been just because we've gotten so big and grown and we have a lot more people now. Go ahead, Rob. You had something. I just wanted to say, you know, through all of this, yes, the, the bottom line at the church has improved, which is great. But I think everyone up to our senior pastor would say, our community has gotten healthier over the last two years. I think our people are more spiritually healthy, more spiritually resilient. I think a lot of people have thrived this year in such a difficult year because we were able to teach them what truly being generous and being a steward is. And I think God has blessed that effort. So, um, man, I, I think we are in such a stronger place now than we were two years ago. And, and that's not just talking about the bottom line of Crossroads. I, I think our people are just our staff, even, um, who a lot of them, I think even our staff, a lot of them were giving because it was almost like an obligation. They knew they had to give, but now truly understand the heart behind it and why it's so important to God and why we do that. And I think everybody's just gotten so stronger out of this whole process. Yeah. I love that. That's such a testimony to how important of a topic this is to the Christian walk, right? It's about being a steward willingly and being a cheerful giver, not fulfilling an obligation. Uh, that's not what God desires. He wants a relationship, and and you're right. Uh, and I think I heard your pastor say this, that it's the the blessing that you receive, right? The, the, the 90-day uh, tide test that you have is that in 30, 90 days, people will be blessed, but it may not be just financial. In fact, a lot of times, that's the thing that we can wrongly read into this, that the blessing that we receive is, yeah, God may actually increase us in some way financially, but the blessing we'll receive is so much more. Uh, and it's spiritual growth, it's, uh, you know, blessing in our lives, it's relationships, it's it's so much more. And, and that's what I just heard you say, Rob, so I'm excited about that, because it means that people are embracing the real message, which is not just give more, but be invested 100% into this relationship that uh, Jesus offers. Well, thank you so much, guys, for for taking the time to be with us today. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Your dear friends and uh, fellow warriors in the in the trenches, uh, as far as generosity and stewardship is concerned. And I'm excited for you and what what's going on. And you guys are a testament to the fact that when you truly put a focus on doing this for the right reason and uh, continuing to fix and adjust as as things go on, which is always going to be the case, that God rewards that and people are impacted in a positive way. So love, love, love what's uh, what's been happening at Crossroads. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Leo. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Leo. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I hope you were encouraged by what you've heard today and that you will consider connecting with us here at CSN. We are a community of church leaders who are passionate about financial discipleship because we believe money and wealth can be the greatest obstacle to true commitment to Christ. That's why we're continuing to develop resources and tools that will help church leaders to preach and teach on this important topic. If you want to know more about CSN and what we offer, you can do that in three ways. First, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can benefit from all the content we're producing on a weekly basis. Second, take our Stewardship Impact Workshop online course. This is a foundational teaching on financial stewardship and why it's so important to incorporate a stewardship ministry in your church. We also have another course coming out soon on the specifics of building a stewardship ministry. 
The third way to connect with us is to attend one of our events. Speaking of events, our 2021 annual forum is now open for registration. This is going to be a two-day virtual event held in early March of 2021 that you will not want to miss. Some of the top stewardship leaders in the country will be sharing on various topics related to stewardship and generosity. To register, go to christianstewardshipnetwork.com events. We're also adding the Stewardship Impact Workshop at the lowest cost we've ever done, just $25. So you don't want to miss that. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode. I look forward to having you join us next time for the next episode of Stewardship Leader.